chapter 1. We're only going to look at verse 21, but as we've been doing each Sunday through Advent, allow me to read this larger passage from verses 15 to 23, just so that we have the context. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here ends the reading of God's word. As Luke was praying earlier, he referenced that the Christmas season can be really difficult for some people. And not because it's just this fun, fast-paced, frenetic world where you're getting together with family and friends. At the end of it, you're just absolutely worn out. That's hard for some of us. But what's hard for others is not the, the social connection. It's the lack of social connection. It's the absence of family and friends who are nearby, or it's the absence of family and friends, period. Those people that are special that you can share this time with. Or, just as difficult, maybe you have people who are nearby, but there's something in between. There, there's a disconnect. And so you have that sense of, of actually feeling more lonely because you can see the people, and they're right there, and you know that you should be tighter and closer, and, and you're not. And this time of year just takes that experience and intensifies it. Because everywhere you look, you're told that you should have someone special to share this time with, and that when you share this time with that someone special, it's just going to be great. And so the advertisements, the movies, the seasonal specials, all those things tell the same story. They say that you should be surrounded by happy people doing happy things together. And if you're surrounded by happy people doing happy things together, then you will also be happy. Then you go on social media and you see all of your friends who are happy and they're posting all these happy pictures of people doing holiday things together. And you look at them smiling and you think, my world doesn't seem to smile nearly as much as theirs does. And you start to feel a little left out. Like everybody else is having this great time, much better than you're having, and you're left feeling like something is missing. Almost like you're staying outside the party, you want to get in, but you're just not sure how you actually do that. And I thought for a little while, uh, I was going to ask, anybody ever feel like that? And then the more that I thought about it, the more that I've talked to people, you realize the question is really, has anyone ever not felt like that? Because it's a common experience. We all share this at different times. And we don't simply share it around holiday seasons. Instead, it's that feeling, universal feeling of being isolated from other people, either because 
people are just not physically around or because you don't share a connection with the ones who are. There's a man in the UK, his name is Mark Geisford. He posted a video last month to his LinkedIn account. Some of you may have seen this video. He starts the video by looking into the camera lens and he confesses, I have no friends. And he proceeds to talk about how he knows an awful lot of people, how he has really good work colleagues, but he has no real friends. No one, in his words, that he can share really serious stuff with. And this video strikes a chord with people. His video goes viral, the major news outlets pick it up, and, and people start to post similar comments on his website uh, that, that say, yeah, I, I have that exact experience, I don't have any friends, I also feel like I'm disconnected from everybody else. Now, if you took any social theory classes in college, you probably have studied people like Karl Marx, Emile Durkheim, and their belief was that this feeling of alienation in the modern world is actually a byproduct of the modern age. That comes from our economic system, it comes from our social mobility, and the combination of those things drives people away from each other. And that a pre-modern world would actually be a little bit better, a little more agrarian, a little more rural, and you'd have this interconnection, this dependent relationships that happen, where people didn't feel the same sense of isolation and loneliness. And then scripture comes along and it disagrees. It claims that feeling cut off from others is actually part of the human condition. And that you have this experience once you're born and you can't not have it. That's what verse 21 from Colossians 1 is getting at when it starts off by saying, you who once were alienated. A very generic statement, all inclusive. Paul's writing to Christians and he says, this is what life is like as a fallen human being living, living in a sin-cursed world. You were alienated. It's just obvious. You were isolated and you were all on your own. And Paul's expecting that people at this point are going to start nodding. And they're going to say, yeah, you know what? I, I get that. I know personally that that's true. I felt that way. He anticipates the reaction that Mark Geisford got when people said to him, yeah, I don't have any friends either even though I'm surrounded by people. I don't have anybody who really knows me, who really understands me, and who still accepts me. Nobody wants me. Scripture understands that everybody has this firsthand experience at some point in their lives of what it is to be alienated, to, to have that feeling where you're lost in a crowd, to feel like there's no place for you, that you don't fit in. Now, sometimes that's just sort of a vague feeling. It's a sense that you're not very close with other people. It's a sense that, that your connections with people are very shallow and that it doesn't take a whole lot before you bottom out with, with the people around you. Other times it's more overt. You know what it's like to have people ignore you, to have people overlook you, to have people communicate that they don't want you, to push you away, to bully you. You know what it's like to try to do everything in your power to fit in, to be good enough, and it doesn't matter what you've tried or what you've done, you're just not good enough, and everybody around you lets you know that. On this planet, you cannot help feeling alienated, alienated from human beings, which is a really weird thing. This is our species. We're supposed to be connected with each other. But if you live as a human being on this planet, you understand what horizontal disconnection is like, this feeling of being cut off from other people. But when you go back into verse 21, you realize, actually, you know what, this is worse. Because it's not just this horizontal aspect. You who once were alienated, and you think, well, alienated from whom? From people? From God? 
could kind of go either way there. There's a couple other times where Paul will use the same word alienation. And those times he ties it either to people or to God. This one he leaves floating. It's ambiguous. It's intentional because you realize that those two are actually tied together. How can you be alienated from God and find deep personal connection with those who are made in God's image? You can't. You can't be cut off from God, cut off from the original. You can't be alienated from him and actually have close ties with those who represent him. In other words, alienation is not simply horizontal. It's also vertical. It's both at the same time. Now, it's bad enough to think about horizontal alienation, all the feelings of loneliness that that brings. It's much worse when you start to consider the implications of vertical alienation. It's overwhelming. It's one thing not to count in a crowd, to feel like nobody cares if you're there or not, to be invisible to other human beings. What's it like to feel like you're invisible to God, to feel like you don't count? What's it like to feel like you don't count in the universe that God made, that, that you're ignored at that level, that you're treated as if you didn't exist? I mean, can, can, can you begin to wrap your mind around what it's like to not exist? Mark Geisford, the guy within the video, he might not have any friends, but at least now he exists, right? You know about him. You've heard about him. Other people know about him. He still might not have a whole lot of friends, but he's noticed. What's it like to not be noticed? Not be noticed by anything in the universe because God's made the universe. To, to be alienated from everything and everyone. To, to, to not count, not just in this small space, but among galaxies. What would that be like? If you can start to get a hold of that a little bit, wrap your mind around that a little bit, you're starting to understand a part of what the pain of hell is like. It's to be completely alone horizontally, completely alone vertically, when you were made for deep relationship. It's to be isolated, not for just this brief holiday period, not for that longer stretch of your teenage years, not even into adulthood, but forever. How do you begin to, to, to think, what, what is that like? Dr. Craig Haney can give us a little glimpse into what that would be like. He's a social psychologist over at the University of California. One of the things that he studies is the impact of solitary confinement on people who are incarcerated. And his studies have shown that prisoners held for long periods, I'm quoting, prisoners held for long periods in solitary confinement reported nearly twice the number of symptoms of stress and trauma compared with the general prisoner population think, well, what are those symptoms? What, what, what's that trauma? In another paper, he unpacks that a little bit more. He's talking about anxiety, panic, insomnia, paranoia, aggression, and depression. You start to understand that isolation, being cut off from other human beings, it's, it's devastating to us. We're not made for that. But you don't have to be physically imprisoned to experience that. You all know that. You, you know what it's like to be cut off at times from others. And you don't have to be imprisoned to, to experience a strong reaction to it. It's another paper. It's a literature review. It found that, fairly recent, it found that social isolation is one of the main risk factors associated with suicidal outcomes. People outside of prison can't stand the feeling of being disconnected. They would rather end their lives than continue in that one more moment. 
We weren't made to live alone. You weren't made to live alone. We weren't made to be cut off from other human beings. It's not good for us. You weren't made to be cut off from God, either here or for all of eternity. Take all those effects that I just listed, multiply them by eternity, and, and factor in that you're not simply cut off from human beings, but you're also cut off from the only life that matters. How on earth would you survive that? If suicide is a better option than continuing in that condition here on this earth for a number of years, what on earth are you going to long for in eternity? You realize then that alienation is both a present tense problem, but also is one with very, very significant future ramifications. So how do we wrap our minds about it? What, what do we do with this? I think first we have to understand what's the source of this alienation, the source of what all of us have experienced at different points in time. And go back to verse 21 and finish it off. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You realize alienation has something to do with being hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now, when you see that word mind there, as a modern person, you might be tempted to think you know, that that's either brain or it has something to do with the intellectual processes in the brain. The Greek word there is actually much bigger. It's referring to more than that. It refers instead to a person's mindset, to a person's disposition as a person, to their basic approach to the larger world. And that basic approach, according to scripture, is that we as human beings are fundamentally hostile toward everyone else. And it's a hostility that then expresses itself in evil deeds. In other words, we are cut off from God, we're cut off from other people because of a baseline hostility toward everyone else and the actions that come out of that hostility, very clear in scripture, very hard for modern Westerners to buy. We don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves as having a fundamental antagonism toward everyone else, including God. In Western civilization, we have lots of answers for why there's social alienation. But the, all of those answers have some, one thing in common, and that is that they look at external factors. And so we're isolated, we think, because people just don't like us, those people out there. Or we're isolated, we think, because of social and economic forces that just sort of overwhelm us and happen to us. And scripture comes along and says, those things really are there. There are really people out there that don't like you. There really is a social network that does make it difficult to live in this world. Those things are true. But they are not the primary fundamental reason for why you are alienated from God and other people. The primary reason is you. You're the cause. You're hostile. But that's just not the way that we've been taught to think. And so it doesn't come naturally and quickly to us. I was walking across an intersection during rush hour this past week. I dropped the car off at the shop to get it fixed. And I'm crossing this busy street. And there's one car that isn't moving forward through the intersection, even though they've got a green light. And the reason that they're not moving forward is because there's a line of cars in front of them that have backed up almost into the intersection. So if they continue on, they're going to block that cross street when the light turns. So they're waiting until there's some room and the guy behind them is, is, is furious, lays on his horn, starts screaming and yelling inside of his vehicle, gesturing the whole nine yards. Finally, this offending car rolls through the intersection at the exact moment that the light turns red. 
And this guy just loses it. He's trapped at, with this red light, and he is going off in the car, does not care who sees him. Now, to say it mildly, that's hostility. And if you get anywhere near that hostility, you will be pushed away. You will experience alienation. But if you were to sit down with him, after he cooled off, obviously, and he said, man, <laughs> what's the source of your hostility? Do you think that he would say anything close to, oh, well, you know, as a human being, that's just my basic disposition. It's just fundamental to who I am. I'm hostile toward everyone. I do evil deeds. I actively push away other people away. That's part of my most basic nature. Do you think you're going to hear something like that? Or are you more likely to hear a justification? Something that makes sense of his reaction. Something that says that the person driving in front of him is the one who has the real problem, that they need to learn how to drive, and they need to learn how to be a little bit more considerate of other people who are also trying to get to work. Okay, here's the challenge. This is really easy to see from the outside. You can look at someone who is going off like that, and you can say to them, okay, let's stipulate that maybe that other person didn't drive as well as they could. I'll give you that. But your reaction is so over the top. Clearly, it's wrong. They may have been wrong, but clearly there's something else going on inside of you that's not okay, something that comes from you, something that impacts other people. In other words, from the outside, looking in, it's easy to agree with the scripture. That there's hostility inside of this person that generates the alienation. But that's really hard to see from the inside. It's really hard to see it when you're the one who's doing it. Instead, it's really easy to justify. So let's try it this way. Maybe it's easier to see the presence of hostility when you recognize the absence of something else. Maybe you can see the presence of hostility when you recognize the absence of an alternative. When you recognize the absence of this angry person's goodwill. When you recognize the absence of caring for this other person in front of them. When you recognize the lack of kindness, the absence of peacemaking, the absence of reconciliation, all of those things that is not coming from this person who's yelling and screaming. Maybe you can see the presence of hostility a little bit better when you ask the question of this man, when you laid on the horn, didn't get up, give up, when you were losing it in the car, were you trying, was that, I mean, was that a strategy to be socially connected with the person in front of you? Were you trying to enfold them? Were you trying to bring them closer? Were you trying to give them an experience of belonging in a dark world where everything and everyone else pushes them away? The answer is clearly no. Someone might want to pick with me and say, you know what, Bill, you're, you're kind of badgering them a little bit. Why does it have to be one or the other? Why does it have to be alienation or reconciliation? I mean, can't, can't the guy just sort of have a little more self-control in that moment? Just ignore them and carry on with his day and get off to work? What is it when you ignore someone? What is it when you pretend that they don't exist? Is that you now alienating the other person? You're now the active agent trying to isolate someone else. See, you start to understand there's no neutral ground with human beings. We're either connected 
or we're disconnected, which means we're trying either to make connections or we are trying to push people away. And in that sense, hostility has two forms. It has this very active form where you're aggressively going after someone, where you are saying the world would be better off without you. In this moment, we would all do so much better if you did not exist. It's the active form of hostility. But there's also this passive form, quieter kind of a form, the form that is so concerned with yourself and with what makes you comfortable that you start to act as if other people didn't exist. Or you act in such a way that their existence does not change what you do around them. Talking to a new friend last week, he was sharing a story about this camping trip that he took, and he said it was just absolutely gorgeous. Went up to Canada, had a cabin on a lake, and he said there was nobody else around. In the entire week, we saw two other people. He said, I have never heard quiet like that before in my life except for one of the guys that we took along with us. And this guy talked nonstop. And he said, that's not hyperbole. When the guy got up in the morning, he started talking, and he didn't stop until he went back to bed at night. And a lot, apparently, of what this guy was talking about was just sort of a running commentary on what he was doing. Okay, I'm getting up out of bed now. Now I'm going over and I'm grabbing the coffee pot. I'm filling the coffee pot with water. Oh, look, I'm putting coffee now into the coffee pot. I'm putting it on the stove. I'm turning the stove on. My friend said I wanted to kill him. I think that's justifiable hostility. Now, say you confronted this talkative man, and he said something like, um, what he was doing is just talking too much. He says, but I'm just talking. It's not offensive. I'm not trying to push people away. It's just a neutral kind of thing that I do. Wouldn't you want to say to someone like that, actually, no, it's not neutral. See, you're not just talking, you are talking so that other people actually have to listen. And what are they listening to? Are you giving, trying to give people the best experience that they could have? Well, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing what I'm doing. Right, okay. You're just sharing, let's run it through Ephesians 4.29. You're just sharing because it's helpful for building others up. That what your words are shaped according to other people's needs. You're, you're just sharing so that it might give grace to those who hear. You are thinking carefully. You are crafting your words in such a way to encourage, to edify, to shape their worlds for good. Well, no, you know, I, I, cut me a break here. I wasn't trying to hurt anyone. And that's when you want to lean in a little bit. And you want to say, I think you're asking the wrong question. It's not enough to ask, am I trying to hurt someone? You have to learn to ask, am I trying to help someone? If I'm not trying to help someone, that is the passive way of pushing them away. It's the passive way of alienating them. It's the passive way of, not, of, of being hostile. It's the nicer way. It looks gentler. It's still hostility. And when that's the case, you should not be surprised when nobody wants you around. Now. I want you to stay with me right now because this is, this is really important. We are often very aware of horizontal alienation, of horizontal isolation. That's what grabs our attention. That's what we feel the largest impact from. We're much more aware of that than vertical alienation. But you will never solve 
horizontal alienation without first dealing with the vertical. Another story. Counseling a husband and wife many years back. They had been married for just a few short years. She had her issues. His were much more glaring. A really critical man and, and, and nasty uh, with, with his words and would constantly pick at her and poke at things in such a way that she, she felt really crushed by this. And I kept trying to help him see that his words had a source, that they were coming out of the hostility inside of him and that what he really needed was something supernatural to change him. But he wasn't buying it. And at one point, he'd had enough of me. And so he looked at me and he said, look, don't tell me any more God stuff. All I want to know is what do I need to do to make my marriage work? At this point, I'd had enough of him too. And so I said, okay, don't say another nasty thing to her ever. Think you can do that? And he looks a little stunned and he says, okay, I'll do that. I just sort of thought, man, I, I can't even do sarcasm with this guy. <laughs> he comes back about a month later. He says, you know what? I can't say anything good anywhere. I mean to my wife, I already knew that. But I mean to everybody else too. I'm nasty in all of my other relationships. I mean running down the guys that I play softball with. Now, what was it that I had said to him? I said, if you don't want to be alienated, then stop doing evil things. Stop being hostile. He came back a month later and he said, I can't. And he was right. He can't. Not on his own, because it's a fundamental part of our fallen nature. If you don't address your fundamental disposition toward the world, the hostility of mind, it'll always come out in evil deeds somewhere. And it will always leave you alienated. You can't help it. It's not enough to hate the alienation. You have to hate the hostility that causes it. It's a really important distinction that a lot of people miss. There are a lot of people who come to counseling like this guy because they don't like the effects of what they've done. They don't like the consequences, but they're really okay with the underlying causes. They're okay with the active and the passive forms of hostility. And so they come to counseling and they say, here's what I want in life, but I've not been very successful in getting it. So here I am, I'm being humble. I've come to counseling and I want you to tell me what to do so that now I can get what I want. And counseling never works for someone like that. Because what they're saying essentially is, I want to remain hostile and not be alienated. And that never works. What has to change is the core hostility. What has to change is your vertical hostility, your hostility toward God. And only then can you practice a life of non-hostility toward those who image God. But that's only attractive to someone who understands the real meaning of Christmas. Because that's what Jesus came to do. God saw your alienation and he took pity on you. He knew you couldn't stop saying and doing evil things on your own because of your innate hostility. So he sent his son into this world not to be a sweet baby in a rustic setting surrounded by animals that makes you feel warm and fuzzy on an annual basis. Instead, he sent Jesus to replace hostility with peace. He sent Jesus to turn enemies 
into friends. He sent Jesus so that Jesus would embrace your hostility toward God and make it his own. And then Jesus took your hostility and endured God's hostility toward you because you had rejected God. We read from the prophet Isaiah earlier. Here's one more place where Isaiah is talking about Jesus hundreds of years before Christ was born. It's in Isaiah 53. Isaiah writes, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, that brought us the absence of alienation. And with his wounds we are healed of our hostility, added that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus took your hostility and carried it into God's presence. And he endured God's hostility, God's wrath against it. And he endured that until your hostility was all destroyed and God's was all gone. That's what it takes to end your hostility, to end the hostility between you and God. That's why he came. Now, how do you know that he did that for you? personally, individually. It's because you no longer like hostility. You no longer defend it when you see it coming out of you. You no longer embrace it. You no longer accept it. You're no longer okay with it. Instead, you see the evil of it. You don't simply see the evil of alienation. You see the evil of the hostility that causes that and you hate it. But you also rejoice. You are so grateful that God found a way to deal with this. If that's not you today, it really could be. This Christmas could be so much more than just the, a sweet, fun, fast-paced time. It could be the end of alienation. It could be the end of isolation. You could be reconnected, first with God, then with others, and all you have to do is ask for it. All you have to do is ask Jesus, please take my hostility away from me. Take my sinfulness on yourself until it's all gone. And if that is you, if that is what you've experienced, I'm going to urge you, take some time between now and Christmas, Wednesday, take some time and thank him for that. Thank him that even though you were his enemy, he didn't treat you like an enemy. Instead, he made a way for you to be his friend. He entered into that isolation that you could not get yourself out of, and he brought you near himself. Take some time to thank him for that. But then also look around you, because there's lots of people who are still in isolation, still cut off. Look at them. Let their situation affect you. And then enter into their worlds in a similar manner in the way that God's entered into yours with the hope that they don't have to live cut off from everyone, cut off from him. Give them a taste of what that's like so that they might long that much more for the real thing from him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you saw our need far better than we ever could. You've entered into our worlds, Lord, before we ever asked you to. You wanted to rescue us. You were merciful. You were kind. Lord, we don't deserve that, but man, we're thankful, grateful. Lord, we want to see other people experience the same wonder of this to live lives that are not cut off from other people, to live lives rejoicing in a God who loves 
us that much. Lord, give us those kind of grateful hearts and give us the eyes to see this world in the same way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise. Please rise together. Same one. Our mom is Carol. We continue to reflect.